Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome in to another week and episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj. Hope everybody had a really good weekend. Um, did some fun stuff, hopefully, and you know, enjoyed, relaxed. You know, had some good things happen. So, want to get into quite a bit this week. Obviously, NBA playoffs heating up. You know, got the. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of things going on within the NFL, uh, other sports. Uh, kind of fascinating to see all the things kind of come together and be going on at the same time. You know, you got the Stanley Cup hockey final uh, playoff going on as well. Um, and you know, just look at some of the things that are going to be happening this summer with the boxing fights that are on their way. Uh, so much to really look for look forward to and that's a really good sign of 2021 as we kind of get back to a sense of normalcy uh, across the world so before i get into my first topic of the day do want to say it's been a full year since i launched my real sports talk by naraj podcast um gotta say i really want to thank everyone including my uh, friends at work who really pushed me uh, to get this going and along the way it's been a lot of fun um, been challenging at times for sure but I've enjoyed doing a lot of the episodes I think I've over plus over 200 plus episodes up to this point and it's been a, a really a fun ride I've enjoyed uh, always coming up with some of the best things I can talk about uh, from day to day and I do appreciate everyone who has listened to me whether it be you know, on the podcast platform or on my YouTube channel platform. Um, I appreciate all the support and love. Um, and I love to keep it, keep it going um, into this year. And it should be a fascinating uh, way. How, you know, obviously I've learned a lot about some things that I'll continue to talk about and improve on. Um, but I do uh, appreciate all the love and support and the boost of confidence that I've gotten from everybody. Uh, whether... You know, you follow sports actively or not, or whether you don't, um, and if you're just like me, I appreciate that uh, in itself. So thank you to all. Um, as I say, you know, it's been a, one, a full year since I started, and, um, you know, it's been really epic. And I hope to keep it going um, in a great, great direction along um, going forward. So there was a couple of things that transpired over the weekend that I want to get into first. Now, before I do transition to talk about the NBA playoff action we saw in the past weekend. Uh, so first things first, Novak Dojovic, um, number one tennis player in the world, captured his 19th Grand Slam title at the French Open, defeating the number fifth ranked player, which his name is a little bit hard to pronounce. Um, but let's just say that his, his competition uh, was a really good uh, tennis player that has been kind of surging for a while and Novak Djokovic is a tennis player that I have to admit and I haven't always liked Novak Djokovic because he's always beaten the two guys I've always loved watching in tennis growing up and that was you know Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal you know I think I was just more uh, annoyed and upset whenever he would win because he would win against those guys in those major championships um you know, so I kind of like didn't like him as much because I was just like, man, this guy keeps on beating the guys that I love, and 
this is this isn't fair and but you know when you look closer at Novak Djokovic, I mean you look at a guy who has just really surged and made a mark for himself. I mean he just continues to impress at every single level and you know obviously he won the Australian Open this year. I mean the French Open and we're just seeing his level of dominance. We're seeing him uh, surge in ways that you know you would expect. You know obviously he took some time away for obviously dealing with some things and COVID related and you know time and comments and stuff like that but Novak has always come back on the court and always been able to impress impress show the passion the uh, energy that needed to win the championship um, and he just keeps to exhibit greatness at every turn you know every time that you think that Novak Djokovic is out of a match he comes back and he proves you wrong um, and he's one shy Grand Slam title away from tying Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal for 20 championships. Um, so, I mean, you look at what he's been able to do. Um, obviously put forth memorable performances. He had a memorable match against Rafael Nadal here in the semifinals, in which they, really, you know, they went to five sets. And, you know, he just really brings out the best of himself. So you never count him out uh, of any match or any tournament. He always finds a way. And you know, even when he looks out of it, he's able to kind of stay with it. And that's just the greatness that he has, being able to sustain through all the little things that he's experienced, you know, with the injuries and with, you know, with the time and all that. He's been able to stay, stay the course, stay the course of his career at the age of 34, been able to stay healthy, be active in tournaments and you know he just knows how, he just knows how to rise up and rise up and and get it done and you know he has shot in any grand slam and he's trying to go for the perfect record in the grand, grand slam this year um, a lot of eyes will be on him obviously again heading into Wimbledon coming up um, but what a fascinating story for Novak Djokovic someone who really became big time became big time um, in the last four to five years and just has been able to um, do a lot, do a lot in the game of tennis, uh, just really being brilliant all the time, uh, rising up, never being afraid of the moment, and you know, he's you know, already in the history books, already as one of the greatest players to play in tennis. Uh, the question is, what will he end up with when it's all said and done, and I just got to appreciate that about him and his ability to thrive under pressure, to be the ultimate pro, ultimate player that he is. And I'm sure we're going to see more of him um, in Grand Slam action in, in the years to come. So now I want to talk about UFC 263. And I'm not going to talk about the main event because that was, you know, in itself and... <laughs> I mean, I was more focused on, on one particular fight and I had kind of previewed it uh, last week, and that was Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz. Obviously, Leon Edwards trying to get a title shot, and he moved one step closer to a title shot by beating Nate Diaz at UFC 63. Uh, it was a thriller. It was a thriller. Both men put up an incredible fight, and gotta say that Leon Edwards really brought it to Diaz. Um, Throughout, all throughout the five rounds they fought. I mean, Edwards obviously 
landed more punches, attacked more, kind of roughed up Diaz quite a bit. But man, a lot of people left thinking that fight that you know Diaz almost got Edwards that fourth round. That fourth round was where I mean Diaz really showed up, showed like what he was uh, and what what made him great uh, up to this point in his career was he almost he, he did rock Leon Edwards with a with a pretty good shot there. Wasn't able to finish him up in that fourth round, but that was the kind of uh, round where you know Diaz almost had Leon Edwards beat and beat cold. <laughs> so, but you know Leon Edwards obviously weathered through that somehow, being able to kind of rely upon his uh, you know strength and his you know his kind of passion. He just came up at Diaz. I mean, got a little bit messy obviously as Diaz got roughed up quite a bit. Uh, but Leon Edwards just was, was the better fighter uh, throughout um, in terms of scoring and being able to get it done. It was mostly Leon Edwards. If you ask the crowd and the audience, obviously, a lot of people might feel Diaz won because he was really, really solid in that fourth round. Um, but yeah, both men put up an incredible fight. And, you know, Diaz, um, like I said, the, you know, Diaz may have been the eye test. He may have won the fight, just the scoring and everything. Like Edwards was definitely the, the better fighter throughout throughout the entirety of the fight. And you know, he is now in a you know, get a big time victory like this. He is, I think he's ready, ready and motivated for a title shot. He may face Usman again. It's possible. I don't know how that'll end for him. Uh, could face Covington maybe possibly. Um, but Edwards obviously has been coming for a while, as I mentioned before, and being a Diaz was a huge step in the right direction for him. Hopefully that will lead to him getting a hell opportunity um, so he can really prove his dominance and prove that he's still one of the best fighters. Uh, who, who know, I mean, he may even move up a weight class or two, depending on how things go, uh, but he's definitely in line for a title shot that he um, got one step closer to by beating the the great Nate Diaz and um, kind of making a statement, um, you know, kind of showing he's motivated, hungry to make a statement, and he got a big time win on the weekend. And let's see what he does next now in his in his career coming up. next segment, I just want to recap the NBA playoff action that we've seen from the Eastern Conference semifinals and the Western Conference semifinals. And I'll start with the Philadelphia 76ers who were able to win Friday night uh, Game 3 over the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I think the score was 127 to, to 111 or 117, something along those lines. Um, this game just pretty came down to Philadelphia really bringing it on both sides of the ball again. You saw Ben Simmons score much better uh, to, you know, Tobias Harris score, uh, Joel Embiid having his usual dominance. I mean, the Sixers really attacked the paint um, and did a good job of closing out on Atlanta, not allowing too many three-pointer attempts. Atlanta attempted 23 three-pointers in this game. Obviously not as high as they usually take the three-pointers, but 
you know, give Philadelphia credit. That defensively, the Sixers were able to keep Trey Young in check, not let him go off for too much. Uh, they kind of forced other guys to step up and shoot, uh, which they did, uh, but not to the point where they could get enough stops to win. You know, the Philly bench looked really nice. I mean, Dwight Howard had a nice game. Cormaz had a nice game. Um, but overall, you just saw the Sixers play much more, much more balanced offensively. I mean, Ben Simmons is doing a job on Trey Young, defending him pretty well. Um, but, you know, this game just came down to Philadelphia, kind of pacing it to, to, to their style, getting some quality shots um, on different possessions. And Atlanta's problem right now is that they don't really have an answer uh, when it comes to Joel Embiid. Uh, you know, even if they send the double team him's way, he's able to find the extra shooter, extra passer. And the Sixers are moving the ball much better than they anticipated. Um, they've been able to do that. Also being able to you know gain a little bit of advantage on defending and blocking. You're just seeing them make the extra pass, keep Trey Young not you know not let Trey Young get too too much onto them, you know, not allowing to make three pointers. They're really forcing Atlanta to play inside a lot. And, and you know give credit to the way that the Sixers do defend. They're their size and length in defending the perimeter is really coming into play in the series now, as they've won the last, you know, the, the, the last two games of the series. They've been able to keep everything kind of in front of them. Um, you know, you're not seeing Galinari kind of go off, or Lou Williams go off, or even you know Bogdanovich, Kevin Wooder. You know, you guys are scoring, but not at the high clip and rate that we saw them score in Game One. So, give Doc Rivers and Philadelphia credit. They've been able to keep Atlanta in check. And now we're going to see what Nathan McMillan does, you know. Obviously, he's had an incredible year with this group. And, you know, what kind of adjustments will, will Atlanta make, you know, to make this series even? You know, that's going to be something to watch out for tonight. Uh, so, you know, what does Nate McMillan do? You know, what does he do with Trey Young? How, how does he put him in a better situation where Trey, cause Trey Young's going to have to have him have a monster game for the Sixers. Sorry, for the... Trey's going to have, have a monster game for the Atlanta Hawks to win um, game four. You know, I think him scoring 23 points plus won't be enough. Obviously, Doc Rivers has turned Trey Young into more, more of a facilitator and playmaker in this series, where most of the times when Trey Young does pass it out, guys are hitting shots, but it hasn't been happening as much the last two games. You know, what is Trey Young going to do differently in, in game four? You know, is he going to attack more... You know, how is he going to be able to deal with the size just throwing his way in the paint? You know, someone else other than Trey Young is going to have to have a monster game. Um, you know, 25 points plus potentially if they want to beat the Sixers because we're seeing the Sixers now shoot with more confidence and more and play much better. And this is what is the difference between, you know, defenses is you know, Philly has been able to really lock in and, and play Atlanta inside and out a lot more. That's kind of forced Atlanta to do the same thing, but Atlanta hasn't been able to hit enough shots, and that's where uh, Sixers have the advantage right now in this series. So now I want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks series. And the Milwaukee Bucks have evened up the series with the Nets at 2-2 apiece. Um, I still have a Nets winning in seven, but I got to say, you know, it's not a good sight to see Kyrie Irving Kyrie Irving go down um, in you know in this game game four here 
Uh, you know, second quarter kind of was, you know, going up for something and, you know, he landed kind of awkwardly, I think, on Giannis's foot or something like that. And, you know, Kyrie basically was ruled out with a sprained right ankle. Nets are positive and hopeful that it will not be anything too big for this series, but it was tough to see him go down. Obviously, because Kyrie Irving has been so spectacular and great on the basketball court for the Nets. Um, and all of a sudden, now the, the Nets find themselves tied 2-2 with the Milwaukee Bucks, um, which in the Bucks won 107-96 to was the final score in this game. You know, Durant had 28 points, but shot 9 of 25, and 1 of from 3-pointer. So... Kevin Durant, obviously, so far the last two games, Giannis has gotten the better of him. Where you're not seeing Durant and Giannis kind of guard each other uh, as much. But when it does happen, I mean, Giannis has been able to really exhibit his dominance in the paint, which is what he did last night. You know, um, more importantly, like the Milwaukee Bucks have been able to, able to take advantage of Kyrie Irving's injury. As, you know, these injuries do happen in the postseason. It's tough that the Nets don't have Harden. They don't have Irving. Um, as both guys are going to be out, it seems like. Um, if Harden comes back, it would be game five, potentially. But you know, we really don't know. Don't know. It could be game five, game six. Um, but just look at it. The Milwaukee Bucks were able to, like, score and attack and really make the Nets unproven stars on the on the bench play you know you had guys like Bruce Brown who had minutes and you know Jeff Green having to do more and Blake Griffin having to do more but other than that I mean the Nets just don't have a good enough uh, they, they didn't look good enough in this game to win and as good as Kevin Durant is I mean he's not gonna be able to do it by himself but then again this is a chance for Kevin Durant where I mean you know this is his team and yes Kyrie Irving and James Harden are out, and it's rough that it's happened, but this is a chance for Kevin Durant in Game 5 coming up to really stand out and, and go off, if he can, to lead this his team to victory. You know, but shooting one away from three-point line won't help, and you got to give credit to P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker has been very physical with Kevin Durant in this series the last two games. You kind of see them guy at it in Game 3. Tucker, I mean, really has made it difficult for him. Um... You know, Joe Harris had eight points only. Griffin had eight points. The lack of shooting and playmaking that the Nets um, don't have right now is, is showing up in the series. You know, the last two games, you know, the, the lack of playmaking, you know, lack of scoring at times is what's really hurt them a lot in this series. You know, uh, overall, you've just seen um, the Milwaukee Bucks play with more confidence. You know, up and down the court. Um, you know, you have Giannis putting up his usual 30-plus points. Uh, you know, he attacked the paint, obviously, a lot. Drew Holiday looked much better, had 14 points. Milton had 19. Um, and Tucker himself had 13 points. So the Bucks were just able to be more efficient. Uh, they never let the Nets kind of get back into this game at all. Um, and they beat the they were much better than the Nets in the fast break as well. You know, much better than the Nets in the fast break, which you have to say that's something that will happen 
um, from time to time in this series. But give the Bucks credit. I mean, they obviously look kind of worn out and beat up in the first two games, and now things look, look a little bit different. They got a little bit fortunate in Game Three. In Game Four, unfortunately, Kyrie Irving went down, and look. The Nets still are going to be a contender for the championship. Obviously, the health of Kyrie Irving is the most important thing. So is it for James Harden. Um, but this is kind of the unfortunate reality of the playoffs. And when injuries happen, you know, what do you have on your bench to really guide you? And to me, the Nets have some good players on their bench who are somewhat talented. But when it comes to the postseason and when teams start locking in on you and being able to impose their style what are you gonna do and so Kevin Durant is at a point where obviously he's gonna bounce back he's still dropping 28 20 30 points in this series but it's about how efficient he's gonna be and if he's not having Kyrie Irving in game five and let's say Harden is not playing game five you know it's gonna be on Kevin Durant to really play well and get these guys to play well but it starts with the surrounding guys around Durant to play well and so if he doesn't have Kyrie Irving out there and Harden, I mean, you look at Blake Griffin, you look at Joe Harris, you know, you look at who they do have in Bruce Brown and, you know, the others there, you know, that's what it comes down to is can Kevin Durant kind of go off for like a big time game, um, help the Nets gonna get past Milwaukee in game five. That'd be what I'm looking to see, but, you know, it was just more of the Nets not being able to shoot as well, miss a lot of shots. And you just hope that Kyrie Irving is not out for the rest of the series. You just hope that he's able to come back and at least play. Um, because you do want to see um, a good you know, effort from both teams. Obviously, it is postseason and injuries do happen. And whatever does happen, you know, that will be decided by the play of the superstars. So, you know... Obviously, there's no excuses when it comes to the postseason. Injuries are part of the game. Um, and it just comes down to Steve Nash. You know, Steve Nash, for the first time in a while, um, is really going to have a lot to think about in terms of what he, what he wants to put out there as his starting five, um, you know, for the next game in the series. The LA Clippers um, were able to win game three um, over the Utah Jazz on Saturday night. Uh, this was obviously a crucial game for the Clippers. They had to win, being down 2-0. And Paul George and Kawhi Leonard actually played like it. They played big time. You know, they had obviously played relatively well in Game 1 and Game 2, but not to the point where they could overcome the great shooting and ability of the Utah Jazz. Um, but in Game 3, different story. Their defensive energy was much better from the start of the game where they held Donovan Mitchell to, you know, they held them scoreless in the first in the first quarter of this uh, of this game, and they really forced Mitchell to be the guy to make the extra pass. And that led to turnover. That led to some poor shots. Although there was a lot of missed shots by the, by the Utah Jazz, which you don't really see the Utah Jazz miss a lot of three pointers, but they did in this game. You know, but Kawhi had 34, Georgia 31. Uh, they played with the intensity and focus needed to win this game. You know, they kept the. Utah Jazz uh, pretty much, you know, in control, not letting them get too many points. Mitchell did obviously get going at a certain point, um, but ultimately the Clippers were able to get great production from Reggie Jackson, 
from Nick Nick's Batum, who they started um, in, 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 in the um, yeah, they started in the um, in the lineup. So that was a huge thing for the, for the Clippers. Tyloo they make adjustments, obviously, you know, trying to put Batum in there so Gobert can't roam the paint. Um, and Mitchell, like I said, Mitchell had a good effort in this game, but you know he shot 11 of 24, and he wasn't as efficient as he needed to be uh, to win this game. You know, you had Bogdanovich struggle quite a bit. You had some guys not be able to score as oh, as much. You know, they weren't able to score as much, and you know that was the whole thing that kind of transpired was, you know, you didn't see, uh, you didn't see the Utah Jazz be able to do enough to keep up, and they did make some runs in this game, uh, but like I said, Reggie Jackson continued his hot shooting, um, you had different guys chipping at different points, um, the Clippers were much more well-balanced in this series than than you know, the than the Jazz were. You didn't see Jordan Clarkson kind of go off too much, um, and the Clippers just kept scoring and scoring, and they played like they wanted to in this game, and they got a very crucial win. Um, to give them credit, you know, they obviously won. Let's go by 132 to 106. So they really put it onto the Utah Jazz in this one, and. Um, you know, it's all about just adjustments and being able to do that. So I think for Game Four, obviously tonight, like Rudy Gobert is going to have to be much better. They got to try to get him the ball more in the paint, maybe attack there. But Mitchell, it starts with Donovan Mitchell, and he wasn't he wasn't dominant from the get go. Kind of led to a lot of things kind of transpiring where they got behind by a lot of points in the, in, in the second half. You know, but the, give the Clippers credit; they forced also a lot of turnovers. Um, they forced a lot of turnovers on the uh, Utah Jazz. They forced a lot of turnovers on the Utah Jazz. You know they weren't they weren't that great uh, in, in protecting the you know the ball. Obviously, a lot of possessions kind of were you know just catch and shoot, and that's not going to work you know a, a lot. So. I think that the Utah Jazz, they obviously need to start off better, but I mean, in terms of defending Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, like, I mean, we've seen the Utah Jazz being able to defend pretty well in the first two games of this series, so game four is the is the game in which this series could shift um, in either team's direction, you know, because the Clippers obviously are not out of it, you know, I have picked the Utah Jazz to win in six gonna stand by that um but you know definitely utah got lit up in game in game three here so it's going to come down to um it's going to come down to you know which star duo is going to play much better like i said in this series one of the keys to the utah jazz will be they'll need Dominic mitchell and rudy gobert to be at their best and so how does coach snyder adjust what he saw from the Clippers in Game Three. How does he kind of make Mitchell go at it in Game Four? That'll be huge. That'll be huge, and I think that will really tell a lot. Utah Jazz, after a loss, usually in this postseason, have been able to come back and, and, and win. So it's going to be a lot of interesting things that will take place in Game Four, and 
interested to see what does Utah do differently this time, um, you know, to attack how the Clippers went at them in game, in game three here. And finally, I want to cap it off by talking about the Phoenix Suns, who swept the Denver Nuggets uh, to advance to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in 11 years. I mean, what a tremendous effort shown by the Phoenix Suns. Obviously, the Denver Nuggets were on an uphill battle from the series from the start. Obviously, you know, it was great to see Nikola Jokic have MVP type of season. What I did not like seeing was him being ejected in Game 4 for a hard foul on Cameron Payne, which, if you look at the replay, look, go back at it, I referee this man, you don't just toss the MVP of this regular season out in a moment like that, but that's what they did, and look, Jokic was the best player for the Denver Nuggets, obviously, um, since Murray went down. And pretty much for the regular season, he was the MVP. He played like it. He just did not get enough support from Michael Porter, from Aaron Gordon, and Will Barton, who just came back. You know, just wasn't able to do as much as he could have because you know he just came back from injury and played a couple of games. So, you know, I thought Michael Porter was ready to make that leap. I still think he can make that leap to a really good player. But you know, this last couple of games, his you know with the back and just not shooting as well. You know, he didn't really have, he didn't really bring that consistency from game to game against the Phoenix Suns and against a team that can really shoot the three-pointer really well. I mean, he just wasn't able to hit shots. Gordon wasn't able to be a difference uh, as much. And you know, in Game Four, you know, Phoenix won 125 to 118. Chris Paul and Devin Booker. What a moment for those two guys. Afterwards, obviously celebrating with their family. I mean, they combined for 71 points in Game 4 uh, to win. And you just saw all across the board, the Suns were just the better team. They defended much better. They frustrated Nikola Jokic a lot uh, to the point where, you know, he obviously has some frustration fouls and one of those fouls obviously have to be ejected. Uh, but Phoenix was just a better team uh, all, all the way around. And... You know, you just wish that, obviously, I asked this before, you know, it's unfortunate injuries that happened to the Denver Nuggets star, Jamal Murray. Because if he had played, if he had played, obviously, it would been a much different case. But, you know, it was the Suns time. They played with that intensity, that focus of, of being able to finish off the Denver Nuggets. Uh, you saw a lot of guys step up and score at various points. And, man, the Suns are in the Western Conference Finals. Um... What a moment for Chris Paul. And now they get to sit back and watch how this Utah Jazz and LA Clippers series will unfold. Um, but man, the Suns have put themselves in a great position where they really have a, they have a real shot at making the NBA Finals. At the, at the NBA Finals. And just what a story for those two as, you know, Booker has been so great lighting it up, making buckets and everything all the way through. Um, and man, it's going to be fun to watch how the Suns team does in the Western Conference Finals. You know, whichever matchup they, they do draw in the Western Conference Finals, I mean, they've really proven that they can hang with anybody um, all season long. And I think that we're going to see that really happen. Um, you know, I think obviously it comes down to, you know, if the Utah Jazz do win, then the Utah Jazz will have home court in the first round. Uh, starting off game one, if it's the Clippers somehow find a way to win, then it'll be in Phoenix. So, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see what 
what happens from now and then, but you know, the Suns are definitely in a prime spot to win a championship, at least the NBA Finals, potentially. And it would be really crazy if they, if they ended up winning this, uh, winning the Western Conference Finals with the NBA, NBA Finals. Um, but then again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a long, a long series to go for, for, for that, a long way to go for that as well. Um, but it should be fun, and they've been a, one of the best NBA storylines this year. And obviously, there'll be many more headlines to come for the Phoenix Suns when the Western Conference Finals does kick off. Um, you know, um, you know, once the Clippers and Jazz series go the distance. Second, I just want to talk about um, the comments that were made by Le'Veon Bell, um, who used who played last year with the Kansas City Chiefs, as now an undrafted free agent. And for those who do not know, Le'Veon Bell used to be a uh, top running back in the league. You know, he was you know so good with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then ever since he left the Pittsburgh Steelers, things just never ever were the same again for him. Now, obviously, injuries played a role in that. Obviously, having two coaches in the last two or three years has been obviously a different change for him. Um, but, you know, he made some comments about Andy Reid and not playing for Andy Reid um, ever again. He'd rather retire than play for Andy Reid. Now, obviously, that, that raised a lot of eyebrows because Andy Reid is one of the most respected coaches in the NFL today. And we know that he had his moment last year um, two years ago when they won the Super Bowl and it was his first obviously after having multiple trips to the NFC Championship game he was signing to break through and win a championship uh, we obviously saw Bruce Arians win a championship last year with the Buccaneers and obviously the Chiefs didn't have a good year they ended ended very badly in the Super Bowl for them and so you know Le'Veon Bell has been through he's been coached by Mike Tomlin you have Adam Gaze, and then you have Andy Reid. And so I think with Le'Veon Bell with his comments, a little bit too far. He went with those comments in my mind. But then again, he ex- was expressing what he was feeling. Now, look, Andy Reid is a very demanding coach. It seems like, you know, he's been able to obviously have a great uh, success with, with Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs since he's got there. And, you know, he's just looking... Andy Reid demands a lot from his players. Uh, he obviously gives guys enough playing times and guys to earn it. And to me, Le'Veon Bell, when he's talking about, you know, whatever he said to me and that, he wants to go into that. Look, players have a certain way of kind of feeling and reacting to certain situations. Now, it's possible that Le'Veon Bell wanted to be more, more part of this offense when he joined. Um, but at that point, a couple of things. One, Clyde Edwards Hilaire was really doing well in the Chiefs running game and you saw them kind of run a spread offense and the way that the Chiefs have run their offense through Patrick Mahomes um, they were predicated on that pretty much in in the entirety before Le'Veon Bell even got there so I think part of Le'Veon Bell's frustration is not being able to be that workhorse and be able to catch passes out of the backfield never has kind of his game he could do that in Pittsburgh, but Le'Veon Bell was the kind of running back who would, 
you know, pick his spots in the hole and, and kind of push through them. And the game has changed so much now where running backs have to be more than, they have to be multidimensional. They have to be able to catch out the backfield, run the ball, can make explosive plays. And I think that for Andy Reid, he probably was going to use Le'Veon Bell in certain situations. And Le'Veon Bell did do well in some spots, but he never got to play as much in the Super Bowl or the postseason. And that's because everything was kind of predicated on Patrick Mahomes running the football. Um, and at that point, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was, was the best option. And now Le'Veon Bell, you know, he took a year off football. He came back. Just never was really himself, you know. The Jets situation you can understand because they didn't have this offensive line, but he didn't really do much um, after getting paid. And, you know, things kind of circulated towards a, a while where he just never really was in sync with the offense. So, you know, for him to come out and say, you know, I'm expressing what I'm feeling and all that, you understand that because as a player you want to be able to get a fair amount of reps and and opportunity to prove yourself and it seems like Andy Reid you know may unintentionally may have just you know not have used him as much as the way that he anticipated which is why he's saying that and the coaches are gonna go with the best game plan they can have and sometimes that means that somebody gets left out and so I think Le'Veon Bell really needs to kind of take that into consideration because he hasn't been signed up to this point and I'm not saying that, that you know that he's not a capable running back in this league. He obviously has the numbers to speak for himself. Um, but he hasn't been signed. And as good as he is, you know, it comes down to him just more than your football talent. It comes down to your personality and how do you gel with your teammates. And to me, Le'Veon Bell, if I'm strictly talking about football on the field, I mean... He got his opportunities. Maybe he didn't do much with it to the level that the Chiefs expected, and which is what they kind of reverted back to by Edwards Hilaire. So, you know, he's a great player for a great person who has obviously done a lot up to this point. Um, but it's about adapting your game. And I think that Le'Veon Bell has adapted his game as well uh, to some of the teams that are looking to have running backs. And the, and the whole thing has changed with running backs now it's all about having two or three guys who can run the football and being able to find a balance in that because the, the league has changed so much where it's all offensive driven now it's a lot of points being scored there's a lot of guys being used in a variety of packages and situations i think Le'Veon bell probably didn't embrace that really really well when he got to kansas city and that's probably why Andy Reid may not have used him as much or couldn't do what he promised him to do, but I think Le'Veon Bell really needs to kind of find a way to wherever he does go next, he needs to really understand that there's going to be guys at the same position as he is, and just because of his reputation alone, he's not going to be able to get a fair opportunity, he's going to have to work for it and I think that he didn't earn his playing time as well when he was there in Kansas City, and that's why things kind of got frustrating for him where he kind of came out with all these comments so hopefully he's able to kind of find a way to get back on the football field and actually be a productive player and be able to be part of a healthy rotation um so that he can kind of get back to talking football and having a better you know perspective on on coaching in the nfl and playing for a coach as well